Lauren. Mike. Lauren, are we actually back to in-person tech conferences now? Sort of. I mean, if you consider going down to Cupertino, California, home of Apple, for a viewing party, then yeah, we're, we were in person. So it was sort of a vibe shift? Um, I don't know if I'd call it a full vibe shift. We didn't hear anything announced at WWDC that was like Mac OS vibe shift. But there's still a lot that happened this week that we should talk about. All right, well, let's get to it. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And we are also joined in person by Wired product writer Brenda Stoliar. Brenda, hello. Hello. Welcome. This is, thank you. It's very exciting to be here in person and not on Zoom, um, where I am unmuting myself every five seconds. <laughs> we are thrilled to have you in studio here. <laughs> Well, this week on Monday, Apple delivered its big keynote address at its annual Worldwide Developers Conference. And like almost everyone else, I watched it on my computer at my desk. I had two screens going. I had the video on one screen and all of my feeds on the other. There were two new MacBooks announced, a new homegrown chip, a bunch of updates to iOS and macOS. And we'll talk about all of that on today's show. But first, I wanted to ask about the event as the two of you experienced it, because unlike all of us plebeians, you were both actually there in person at Apple headquarters in Cupertino. Yep, we were there in person. It was interesting. It was kind of this indoor-outdoor space. They opened up one of the giant glass walls of the spaceship at Apple Park. And so we were sitting in Cafe Max initially, having some breakfast, and then you could sort of roam out into the seated area. It was like being at um it's like kind of like being at a music festival, but like a lot nicer <laughs> and a lot fewer people going to the bathroom directly on the grass. Um and worse and, music. No, the music was okay. Uh, you know, the intro music always kind of gets you jazzed up. But um this was my, I, I don't know, I, I've been to WWDC many times before. It was Brenda's first time. So mm. I actually want to hear from Brenda what your experience was like. First of all, Apple, I know I was probably listening to this podcast episode, so I would like to thank them for inviting me before I move forward <laughs> in uh, what I'm about to say. But no, it was really cool to be there in person and to finally experience what everybody's been talking about and like what, you know, my fellow reporters who have gone to the event before have always described to me. I will say, and I was telling Lauren this as we were walking through Apple Park, that it really felt like a summer camp because there was a lot of the good energy all around with people that were working there. They were clapping for us while we were walking through. <laughs> uh, they were screaming things at us to get us hyped. And everybody was in a super good mood. So that was really cool because uh, these tech events can be a little bland at times. So it was nice to like, you know, kind of get that that good energy flowing. Uh, but I will say, I think everybody probably heard Lauren and I start dying laughing when they started playing the pre-recorded event and <laughs> we both were live blogging the same thing at the same time which is that I flew from New York to California to watch WWDC on a giant screen outdoors, um, outdoors in a lawn chair in a lawn chair um, <laughs> with the sun just beating down on us and Apple definitely tried to tell us that they warned us ahead of time after the fact yeah a couple people said oh we called it a like a viewing event or a, a viewing, viewing party. party and i was like really i i just didn't remember that mm. yeah for lack of a better word they were gaslighting us for sure <laughs> <laughs> they were like you didn't know it was pre-recorded and i was like absolutely not i yeah. would have seen that in the email and they're like oh yeah we definitely 
we definitely mentioned that. And I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I probably would have thought twice, maybe. Maybe my editors would have thought twice. I don't know. But regardless, I am very... I'm very grateful that I got to experience it in person because I really didn't think that, that was going to happen once the pandemic started. Yeah, I think you really have to have a sense of humor about these things, both because of the pandemic and because it's Apple. I, for one, thought it was pretty worth it to be there in person. And I think the most important thing is that we got to see some of the new stuff in person, even though, as Brenda pointed out, the majority of our experience was sitting pretty far back from a stage and watching things on video. Right. So we watched the keynote you know, on this, you know, pre-recorded on video. But then afterwards, we did have a, a few minutes to go to the Steve Jobs Theater and see some of the new hardware. Not a lot of the new software was on display. We got briefings about that afterwards, but we did see like some stuff. And uh, Tim Cook did a pop in. Oh, my God. Okay. So <laughs> Brenda really got a kick out of this. Something one. that people really forget to mention when they come back from Apple Park is the difference between above ground and below ground at Apple Park when they had taken us downstairs in the theater all the walls were actually doors and you were swipe they were swiping their badges and then all of a sudden the wall turned into a door and then it's like this labyrinth and you're going through all of these different areas and it gave very sci-fi vibes very stranger things vibes which explains the whole tim cook thing where lauren and i were where you can go hands-on with the macbook air and the macbook pro we were determined we were going to leave we were like okay we've been here long enough we're going to go to the visitor center now and we start to head towards the door we start to head towards the door and there's this crowd and lauren and i look at each other and we're like what is happening and it's tim cook that walks in and he walks into the center of the circle and i looked at lauren and i was like what if we just like left like right now like during this (laughs) moment um because everybody was just like you know obviously eyes drawn to tim cook i mean sure uh it's CEO a big deal the most powerful you know company, biggest company in the world right everyone was waiting for him to you know show up and they start clapping for him and then it just gets silent and he starts walking around in a circle <laughs> and he just had the peace sign thrown up oh like so it was like a photo op I guess yeah. so. And at one point he was standing hands on hips and, you know. Yeah. It's it was like, just, yeah, it I looked like at Lauren. Control. Yeah. I looked at Lauren and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Like, and this is this is a moment when you, you see, like, the segmentation of the press, too. Because there's the press who were there to ask a lot of questions and report back for our audience and basically try to get to the bottom of some of these major changes that Apple is making in its software strategy. And then there's press there that are, you know, they're more content creators or influencers. And so they just want to get the video for their TikTok or Instagram. There are photographers there who are just, you know, snapping photos for the wires. And so it's just their job to stand there and snap photos. And so Brent and I are like, we got to get to the visitor center and start like filing our stories. And there's just this like, the scrum around Tim like in, like an odd silence staring at him <laughs> and we're like oh right, this is weird that was something that I just it forever burned into my brain um, I was not ready for that uh, so speaking of the announcements of all the things that we saw I think probably the one that's going to make the biggest difference to most people is iOS because mm-hmm. it runs on iPhones and there are a billion iPhones in the world Uh, Tell us what you think are the biggest changes coming to iOS that people should know about. I think some of the biggest changes, in my personal opinion, coming with iOS 16 are changes in messaging. 
There are still no away messages, Mm -hmm. which I'm obviously a proponent of. But in iOS 16, you are going to have the ability to mark messages as unread, which is great for just triaging and managing your messages. You're going to have the ability to edit words. Apple gave a very funny example on stage of someone saying, hey, babe, can you send the documents? And then they edited it to say, hey, Gabe, because presumably (laughs) babe is a coworker. Um, Also, you're going to have the ability to unsend messages, errant messages within a few seconds of sending them. So those seemed pretty significant to me. Of course, all of this is between messages users. And by messages, we mean iMessages. And by that, we mean people using iPhones and iPads and that sort of thing. So I'm sorry, Mike, I'm still going to be sending inappropriate text messages to you on your Pixel and not be able to edit them. And I will be responding with a green bubble. That's right. You (laughs) will be. Thank you very much. Brenda, what stood out to you from iOS? I think there was a huge emphasis on collaboration across all the operating systems. So you have shared group tabs, iCloud shared photo library, share play and messages, share button for Apple's apps like Keynote and Pages. And then you also have the Freeform app that's coming, which is also supposed to be this collaborative shared experience. And it just feels like Apple really wants us to really beam in on what everyone is doing together, um, which makes sense during a time like the pandemic, because we are still in a pandemic. And during our briefing, they explained that it does make minor things a little bit easier when you're working remotely, like when you send over a document and you don't know what changes were made in the new version or you don't know which version was sent over. So minor things like that that you don't think about on a daily basis, these really solve those problems in a way that's seamless and easy to uh, navigate. But yeah, it feels like Apple just really wants us together, but remotely on our devices. (laughs) Right, right. It's kind of their version of a social network because Apple has never been successful in developing a a formal or official social network. A lot of you will remember Ping, um, something like that. But the connective tissue between all these apps, that is their social network. Yeah, yeah. And it does feel like a lot. Like they threw a lot of collaboration at us during WWDC? Yeah, you know, I I sort of felt watching it that the emphasis on office-style productivity felt a little odd just because I don't necessarily think of Apple software as, like, office collaboration tools. I think of it as, like, managing personal life, right? Like, maybe you'll use email or you'll use a spreadsheet for something. But, like, when we show up at the office, we're using, like, the tried-and-true legacy enterprise tools like Microsoft and G Suite, Right. I'm sure there are offices out there that use all of these collaborative tools that Apple makes. Uh, I just have not worked in any of them. So. 100%. <laughs> that is very true. I I think Apple definitely picks up on the fact that there is a gap to be filled with being taken seriously in office settings because it is a very common consumer product for just the average person at home or for fun or socially. It's easy to use, but I feel like there is room for it to grow in the office space and the office Mm -hmm. setting. So we don't have time to talk about everything, obviously, but Lauren, I wanted to get your take on what we saw that's coming to the iPad with multitasking. They showed off some new multitasking features. There's been a lot of chatter about this over the last couple of weeks on the internet. I know that you've been following this. What did you think of what they showed? I had high hopes for iPad. You might say, I hope for iPad. You might. You, you might. You might. You, I might. 
I might. I hope for iPad. Uh, yeah, not so much. So I think with the latest iPad OS, there's going to be a tiny bit more flexibility around windowing. This is going to be called Smart Manager. And it's a way for you to run multiple apps on your home screen at the same time and have the ones that are not actively in use easily available to you. But even calling it quote unquote flexibility isn't quite accurate because it's still Apple controlling how you multitask on this screen. So over the past few years, we've seen the merging of iPad and Mac laptops a little bit, both from a hardware perspective, because some of them share a chip now, and from a software perspective, as we've seen like things like docs, right, appear on mm. an iPad, and that's like traditionally on a Mac and that sort of thing. Mm. But this to me is still one of the biggest differences between those two experiences that on Mac OS, you still have full control over how you control and set your windows versus iPad OS. And then on Mac OS, which is called Mac OS Ventura, not Mammoth, as we had thought, um, honestly, th this stood out to me least on Monday. I'd love to hear Brenda's take on this because there were some changes in mail that look exactly like what Google has been doing for years. Yeah. You know, preferences on the Mac has now been changed to system settings and it looks a little bit more like iOS, the settings app. We're also getting to the point where some of the software updates on Mac OS are not going to work for a lot of machines that people are still using, like here at Condé Nast, where we know people who still have 2013 MacBooks. Um, There's so, one in this room right now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Brenda, what did you make of this? Yeah, so just give us the option to use Mac OS on an iPad. I knew, I know that wasn't going to happen, but just having something that is like so, so similar to Mac OS, but they can still call it iPad OS. And we didn't get that. We just got one feature called Stage Manager. And we did see a demo during our virtual briefings, but I really have to just try it for myself. And I just feel like already based on how it's explained based on what i'm seeing visually it it i can't grasp it easily and that i think is already saying something where i'm like is this how you do it or like you resize windows you can put you can group things here but like is this going to feel like an extra step or is this going to feel intuitive like mac os does and something tells me it's not so mm. um and then with mac os ventura yeah it's funny that you said nothing really stood out because i had to look at our the story that I we wrote before this <laughs> podcast because I was like, wait a second, because it's all blending together. Um, but I think the biggest thing that stood out that was different from that was continuity camera that Apple is just like obsessed with the ability to use your iPhone camera as a webcam. They love it. They're very excited about this. Yeah. They think it's like. I'm sure a lot of people out there with iPhones and new Macs are excited about it too. Well, this is the physical representation of Apple's strategy to get us just using all Apple products, yeah. right? It's like, it's kind of like when I, when I watch, my gosh, I watch when Apple watch came out and they're like, here's this, you know, the world's best smartwatch, but also you need an iPhone for it. Mm -hmm. Those two things have to be paired. And like in order to have this great camera feature, you must have an iPhone tethered to an, to it. And I, now I'm calling it an iMac. <laughs> it's all just becoming the same product. It is. Yes. So we should mention that all the things we're talking about, all these new features coming to iOS, iPad OS, Mac OS, they're all going to show up in the fall. Apple usually puts out all of its new software in September after showing it off in June. So we just saw a preview. We haven't used it yet. And uh, you'll be able to experience it all in just a few months on all your devices. So let's take a break right now. And when we come back, we'll talk about things that are available much sooner than that, the hardware. OK, so we should definitely talk about the new hardware and Apple's new chip 
that made its debut on Monday, the M2. Now, Brenda, you are our MacBook reviewer, and you got an in-person briefing on the new laptops after the event. There was a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro announced. Which one should we start with? I think we should start with the MacBook Air, which is clearly Apple's favorite child of the moment. Um, It's almost like MacBook Pro Who is how I felt during the keynote and also during our briefing afterwards. I'm going to quickly run through all of the new things you're going to get with the MacBook Air, and then I'll run through what you're getting with the MacBook Pro because... You'll see the difference. Um, So let's see. We have a bigger and brighter display, MagSafe charging, a boxier frame instead of that wedge design, a 1080p camera, new color options, thinner bezels, speakers are integrated into the keyboard, and of course, an M2 chip. So it feels like the list goes on and on, and they really packed as much as they could into the MacBook Air as far as new features um, and new design. And then the MacBook Pro... That has an M2 chip and a touch bar. And a touch bar, which nobody wants. No, apparently Apple is convinced, though, they're they're keeping this around because there are people that want a touch bar, according sure. to them. You know, and I think you, you probably also get, like, uh, different graphics performance on the MacBook Pro than you would on the Air, right? There's, like, different memory ca- – it's just, like, Pro features, like, things that take it, like, one notch – But as far as the hardware design goes, it feels like the Air is more advanced as far as like Apple's design thinking all went into that machine, right? Right. So, of course, you are going to get that extra processing power. There's an 8-core CPU and an up to 10-core GPU on the M2, which is two extra GPU cores than the M1. So you are going to get that extra processing power. The M2 is it's really worth noting for anybody that's looking into it. Like I really want to stress that this is still considered an entry level chip in mm. their lineup because you do have the M1 Pro, the M1 Max and the M1 Ultra <laughs> and that is not better than the M2. Got it. So, it's basically just an upgrade to the M1. Huh. But it's called the M2, which is certainly a way to sell MacBook Pros. And certainly yeah. a way to one way. And, and, it, yeah. and it is an upgrade. And like if you've been looking for a laptop for a while and you've sort of been holding out, then like just get the air with M2 because that seems like absolutely the machine to buy, at least to my eyes. Yeah, it sounds like what Brenda is describing is that the gap between this new MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro is, is closing. The gap is closing mm-hmm. and the price points are not that different either. So they don't really feel like totally separate lines of laptop. No, especially when... They couldn't even just upgrade, like you're getting a 1080p camera on the MacBook Air and a 720p camera on the MacBook Pro. You're also getting just an old design. And with the M1 MacBook Pro and the M1 MacBook Air, that was my big criticism. And I'm sure it was a lot of people's thoughts where there was no differentiation aside from their fans. Their active cooling system. Right. The, fan, the literal fans. Yeah. Uh, not the fans. Not like the, the fans. Who shout at you when you enter Apple Park. Welcome. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah. So obviously the MacBook Air has, not obviously, I'm not sure everybody knows this, but the MacBook Air doesn't have fans. The MacBook Pro has fans. And for the quote unquote pro user, that active cooling system is likely super useful for them when they're editing, you know, 
super intense projects and heavy workloads. Yeah. So that could be the one defining thing that keeps them from getting an Air and a Pro. But it just feels like a crime that they're selling this MacBook Pro with a 13-inch and didn't even throw in any additional Pro features that they have on the 14-inch and the 16-inch, like ProMotion or maybe an extra port mm-hmm. or, you know, really just anything that can help make the case for it. Because yeah. at this point, maybe just look into the 14-inch MacBook Pro. Like, you want to feel like you're getting something for your money. And I know I still have to use it and get my experience with it, but it would – honestly, I feel like I should just be telling people to get the M1 MacBook Pro at, like, a third-party retailer for cheaper. Cheaper, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm most excited about MagSafe, actually. I'm a MagSafe adherent. I love the design of it where it just you can just pop it out without having to worry about messing up the cable or messing up the computer. It's also safer. And we should note that the MacBook Air has both MagSafe and USB-C charging available on it. And maybe the reason it has USB-C charging is because of the recent ruling in the EU that everybody mm-hmm. knew was coming that said that laptops are going to be required to have USB-C charging. Apple still wanted to put MagSafe back onto the air. It had taken it off. It was still available on some MacBook Pros. And now it's back on the MacBook Air. I think it's a great addition. I love that. But mm-hmm. I also love the flexibility of being able to choose. So you can keep one charger at home and the other charger at the office and just always be able to charge your laptop. It's kind of nice. So the EU ruling was for both laptops and phones. It's for, uh, so the EU legislator has passed a law this week saying that all mobile devices, that's like phones, tablets, laptops, headphones, Kindles, have to use the same charger by the end of 2024. So manufacturers who have not made the jump to USB-C are going to be required to put USB-C on their devices by the end of 2024. Right on. It's a good thing for everybody. It right? sounds totally. like it. Except for the lightning adapter Except on Except if you're Apple and you make proprietary charging standards and ports. Yep. Um, yeah. Cool. So, Lauren, uh, any final thoughts on the computers? So, Brenda did have the chance to go hands-on with uh, the new MacBook Pro. Um, I did not. I saw it from a distance in the hands-on, excuse me, content capture area. Um, (laughs) I have to say I was a little bit surprised that Apple announced the M2 uh, because, as Brenda pointed out, some of the specs feel a little bit more like a boosted M1. But they couldn't keep announcing the M1 forever, and Apple plans these chips years and years in advance. You know, I'm very certain they're already planning the M4 chip. This is all Mm -hmm. Apple's custom silicon, which is a big move for the company because they had been, you know, designing their own custom architecture for iPhone for years, but we kind of knew this was coming for Macs and now it's in Macs. Um, So from a timing perspective, this was probably the right timing for M2. Plus, it feels like maybe they had some excess MacBook Pro inventory and had to, you know, they had to sell it somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, Next year's chips are probably going to be a little bit more impressive because that's when TMSC's three nanometer fabrication process, like the way that they actually make these chips. This is the factory Um, in Taiwan that builds the things. That's right. This is like supposedly these chips are going to be ready next year, and that's going to offer a lot of boosts in terms of performance, power consumption, just the area for computing. It's like that's going to be an impressive leap, but it just hasn't happened yet. So Apple's continuing the march, you know, with the MacBook laptops. Um, But to Brenda's point, like this maybe isn't like the biggest leap in chips that we heard about this week. Right. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. So let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. 
Okay, this is the last segment of the show where we all recommend things that our listeners might enjoy. Brenda, as our guest, you get to go first. What is your recommendation? Stranger Things, specifically Ah. season four. I haven't finished it yet, but if you are the, I don't know, probably only person on the planet that has yet to watch Stranger Things, just (laughs) do it. You're not cool if you don't watch it. Um, It's so far, I mean, I'm loving it. I know you're also like on season four. Yep. And the one thing about the show that I will say is every time a season comes out, I say this is my favorite season and I'm starting to think that season four might might be my new favorite season. So it's it's a lot stronger than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. I mean, 30. What is it? 30 million per episode. That's how much they're spending. Yeah, I, I'm like almost it. like 99.9% sure that it's 30 million. So Netflix is just throwing money at this show <laughs> and I'm here for it. At least so. a million of that is going to Kate Bush because they play her song on a loop oh, like, throughout the entire my season. God. <laughs> yes. She probably just woke up one morning and had a all, check. Yeah, had a lot more money. <laughs> uh, well, you know, also the episodes are really long. Each one is over an hour, so each episode feels like an installment in a film series, which is kind of nice. Yes. Literally, it usually I binge watch, and mm-hmm. this one has taken me. I'm, like, embarrassed to say I haven't finished it yet because I usually just watch it in one sitting, and these are taking me a little a little time. Like, yeah. five hours go by, and I'm not done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, it is a horror movie, so there's a lot of, like, blood and violence and trauma and, you know, disturbing images and stuff. So I think if people haven't seen it, maybe just because they don't like horror movies. Yeah, tr- yes. Trigger warnings, for sure. There yeah. are many. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not an easy watch, but it's worth it nice. if you can watch. So And uh, Netflix did the fun thing where they're showing the concluding episodes in, like, a month. Yes. I didn't know that like when it came out and I was ready to just like, I I also thought season four was the last season. It's not. Season five is. So I was ready to say goodbye. Like I was preparing because this is like literally one of my favorite shows of all time. And I was really preparing myself emotionally and mentally to say goodbye. And they're like, nope, we got one more. Like we're coming back. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So I must be very uncool because I don't watch it. Oh my god! I was not also tardy. No, it's totally you. okay. I am uncool. We know this. No, no, no. I watched just... the first season. I couldn't get into it. That's You're okay. still very cool. I promise. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I promise. You're so kind I did not mean that. that. I just... people make fun of me for not watching Game of Thrones, so it's fine. I oh, I've it. never watched that either. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, but it's Stranger Things. Like, I gave it a chance, and I, I'm not like I'm not uh, often into supernatural you know, series and, and movies. So there was that, like the whole underworld thing just didn't grab me. Right. I thought it was a little bit of over-manufactured nostalgia, but I know people love it. I think Millie Bobby Brown is like super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I, I, get, I get the appeal. Also, here's the thing. I just canceled Netflix. <gasps> nice. Yeah. Wow. I just, I, I hadn't watched it in so long. And people kept talking about Ozark. So I think if I were going to go back, it'd probably be for Ozark. But mm. I just was, I've been using Hulu and Apple TV Plus and HBO Max. I will say, I think that people, a lot of people are going to cancel Netflix. This might be a whole other episode, but I think a lot of people are going to cancel Netflix after Stranger Things, uh, to be completely honest. Because you're yeah. not the first person that said this. I've heard this like multiple times now. Yeah. It was like 15 bucks a month. And I was like, I'm mm-hmm. just not using this. Yeah. Yeah. Inflation. All right, Lauren, here's your chance to redeem yourself okay. by telling us what your recommendation is so you can say something cool so we all think you're you're cool again. Oh, no. I'm just going to bury myself deeper. No, please. So Brenda and I were chatting this morning before we came into the office, and I was like, I don't have a recommendation this week. And she said, what are you into? And we kind of, you know, and I just said, 
don't know, the only thing I've been doing is sleeping and listening to ocean sounds at night. So this is actually something I've been doing for quite a while. I have a Google Nest Hub, one of Google's smart displays in my bedroom. It does not have a camera. It has a little radar sensor. And every night I say, hey, G, I'm not going to trigger all of your smartphones. Hey, G, <laughs> play ocean sounds. And it plays ocean sounds all night long. I take a melatonin and I go to sleep. And I highly, highly recommend this. Uh, Brenda, you said you used rain sounds? Yeah, I mean, yeah. mini. I used to mm-hmm. live above a punk rock bar in New York. My apartment was right above it. And that was the wow. only thing that got me to sleep. So I had to set a routine on my Nest Mini where all I said was, hey, gee, good night. And it would turn my light off. It would start the rain sounds. I would take a melatonin. And that was the only way I could sleep. So we're in agreement. Yeah. We're like, we're, yeah. Every, everyone who's listening right now should, I thought now we're like just like shilling for Google hardware, you know, <laughs> go out and get a Nest Hub Mini. It's going to listen to everything you say. It works on all the smart speakers. Um, but yeah, it does. You Any smart speaker, you can say play ocean sounds and typically it'll pull from wh- whatever music service or streaming service it defaults mm-hmm. to. But if you have a subscription to one of the streaming services, you can also set it to default to that one. I think this one, I'm just probably just using YouTube or Google Play Music because I never I've never directed it to Spotify. Yeah, there is no Google Play Music anymore. See? It's all just YouTube. What am I even doing? Why am I even a tech reporter? I don't even know. <laughs> really? There's no Okay, no, actually that's Blank Google's it, fault though. because yes, because Google changes names and services it's all the time. It's very confusing. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, if you just need a little a little relaxation before bed at night, a little white noise or you need to block out the punk rock band that's jamming below you, um, play ocean sounds. Hey G, play ocean sounds. Take melatonin, drift off. Actually, t- don't take like medical advice from me. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Check with your doctor, <laughs> not the internet, before you take anything before bed. But that's my that's my method. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is a podcast. It's called Why We Run. And it's interviews between a running coach and people in her world that run. And there's a personal connection here because, first of all, the host of the show is the running coach, Beth Baker, who's one of my oldest friends. I met Beth in 1989. Oh, so you guys were babies. 1988, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been friends our whole lives. And uh, she's a delightful person. And she runs a uh, running coach business up in Seattle. And she's had this podcast for a while. And she used to run with her guests. So they would mic up and go for a run and talk while they were running. Uh, pandemic kind of shut it down. She shut it down at the end of 2019 and didn't start it back up. But now it's back. There's a new season. And one of the guests is me. I was on the show. So I just want to give a a quick plug to the show. Uh, The other guest that has, there's more guests coming, but the only ones that are up right now are the ones where she interviews me and then one where she interviews the writer Myrna Valerio, which is uh, a great episode. So it's a lot of fun because it talks about like, how we got into running and she asks like advice or problems and how you overcame those problems, advice that you got from people, uh, what was good advice, what was bad advice. And then she also offers her own advice as a running coach to the guest that the listener can then take and apply to their own, you know, running program. And what advice did she give you? Well, she actually like 
she was at my house a couple of months ago, and I talk about this on the show, but uh, I was telling her that I was preparing for a 10K, and I like had this whole system worked out where I was building up distance over a period of time, and she just like shut me down, and she's like, you could just run the 10K tomorrow. It's all huh. mental. Once you're past a certain point, it's all mental. So that's the best advice she's ever given me is like, it's all in your head, which is you know mostly true as long as your conditioning is up. It's mostly in your head. Yeah, that's what I hear a lot about people who run marathons and mm -hmm. triathlons and all that. They always say it's mental. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Hmm. Yep. That's really great, Mike. I cannot wait to listen. Yeah, same. Is this your? Is this part of your foray into fitness influencing? Like, are you next episode? Are you going to be like, and I just want to talk about these new sneakers from On, a Swiss company. <laughs> Boy, are these sneakers incredible! <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't want to get into SponCon. <laughs> okay. But uh, I do wear those shoes, and they are great, and I talk about them a lot. So thank you for calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sure. could try the the Watch OS Nine feature. Oh, you could. I, I was a little we bit didn't jealous. Talk about that. No. I was yeah. a little bit jealous of, of iPhone people when I saw that at the WWDC keynote, the fact that it does like stride length and all that. But, you know, I'm not a big like metrics person. I just basically look at my heart rate and my distance and that's about it. And or, you wear a Garmin watch. Which I do. Which is very much runner approved because the battery life lasts a really long time. Yeah. I only have to charge it once every four runs. So, mm -hmm. you know, take that Apple watch. <laughs> anyway, that is our show for this week. So, Brenda, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and for letting me crash the San Francisco office. You're always welcome. Please Thank come you. back again. I would love to. Thank and thanks to everyone for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth, who also runs. <laughs> Goodbye. We'll be back next week. <laughs>I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.